The Taoists believe that anything is possible, including miracles, and that when you open your heart, you open your world to endless possibilities. My audio guide, How to Attract Endless Possibilities, will teach you the exact steps to help you create your ideal life. And it's yours free when you sign up now at sataramoafi.com forward slash miracles. You'll learn the four pillars that will allow you to shift your internal experience so you can begin manifesting exactly what you want. The life of your dreams is closer than you think. Visit setaramoafi.com forward slash miracles to start creating it now. That's S-E-T-A-R-E-H-M-O-A-F-I.com forward slash miracles. Well, hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us on the Natural Healing Podcast once again. Well, we are so excited to have Hemla back on our show again to discuss and get a little bit more information and detail on the Enneagram and its nine character types. And uh, thank you for joining us, Hemla. Thank you for having me. Natural Healing Podcast, the show designed to guide, inspire, and empower you to elevate your health so you can achieve your goals and dreams. We are your hosts, Dr. Satara Moafi and Salvador Cephalou, a husband and wife team of acupuncturists and owners of a Center for Natural Healing, an integrative wellness clinic based in the heart of Silicon Valley. We're here to make the ancient wisdom of healing practical and accessible for your modern lifestyle. So Hamla, it's great to have you back. I'm going to do a little introduction just for people who have not already listened to Hemla. And if you haven't, please go back to episodes 41 and 55 of the Natural Healing Podcast. In episode 41, Hemla talks about the healing power of colors. That's a brilliant, fascinating one of our most popular episodes. And episode 55 is what is your Enneatype? So if you're not familiar with the Enneagram system, this is a great introduction. She takes you through a whole journey. But just to give you a brief intro, Hemla Makandula is a transformation catalyst. She's based in Los Altos, California, and is the founder of Seven Rays Holistic Center, which she established over 20 years ago. As a guide and teacher, she observes and advises, blending together various modalities, helping people connect with their whole being. As a transformation catalyst, Hemla uses the three-centered approach. We have three centers of intelligence, and our journey with ourselves is to engage with all three centers, connecting with body, mind, and heart. Hemla works with groups and individuals, offering classes for corporate wellness and for communities. Hemla overlays her passion for color therapy in all the modalities she offers. Hemla was born in Durban, South Africa, and has been living in California for over 10 years. She is an artist, teacher, and mother of two boys. Yay, Hemla, we can't wait. (laughs) So tell us what you want to go into in regards to the Enneagram system today. If you want to give us a brief recap of what that system is and then what you're going to introduce us to today. 
Sure. So today I was wanting to focus on our three centers of intelligence, which you kind of read a little bit about in my bio, because I really believe it's a philosophy I have learned to live by. So the Enneagram, for those who don't know or are not familiar with the system, I, I can quickly go through the nine types just to give you an overview, and then we'll go into these three centers of intelligence. So the Enneagram is a spiritual, psychological roadmap into understanding yourself in a way that feels more whole and clear. And there are nine types within the Enneagram. We have all the types within us, but we lead with a particular Enneagram type. And that often is something that resonates with our being and makes sense for us. So the, we'll start with one. The type one is known as the perfectionist reformer. And as the name suggests, they are often needing or looking for things to be in a more whole or perfect way. type two is known as the giver helper. And as the name suggests, often guarded the way to help others. type three is the performer achiever. And they're moving through the world really quickly, achieving, doing, performing. Any type four is known as the individualist romantic. And they like to have their own point of view or slightly different way of seeing things. Any type five is known as the observer investigator. And they like detail and looking into subject matter that resonates deeply for them. And there's the observer and investigator part of them. Enya type six is known as the loyalist, the loyal skeptic, and they're really good at mitigating risks and looking for safety and security and analyzing whatever risks might be out there. Type seven is known as the epicure or the adventurer, and they like lots of choices and opportunities. And, you know, as the name adventurer sounds, it is exactly that. They're always exploring and trying new things. Type eight is known as the boss protector. And they are very protective of those that they, or anyone really, if it's a cause, person, people, they're very much about protecting those that they consider unable to protect themselves. Mm. And then type nine is known as the mediator peacemaker. So they are really good at merging with a situation, people, their whole way of being is about mediating and being peaceful and harmonious. And they make really good mediators. So that's kind of a quick overview and of the nine types. So sometimes people might come into the Enneagram and not even know which type that they fit into. And again, it's I want to make this clear that the Enneagram is not there to put anyone in a box. It's actually to liberate ourselves out of those boxes. But some types can look like each other, so it can be harder to distinguish. Where do I lead with? So... Knowing the three centers of intelligence can add a lens perspective to help people. So most of us know head center or intellectual center as being primary or one that we know of our society values. And some people think that that's our only center of intelligence. But what if that was only one of three parts of who we are and that there are actually two other centers of intelligence that we have? My question is always, would we not want to awaken those two centers and have them all in equal balance? And one of the first Enneagram teachers in the early 1900s, his name was Gurdjieff, he said that human beings are asleep and our work is to wake up. And when I first read that, it really sat with me in a very powerful way. 
He also said that we have an inner essence that is covered up by our personality. And our personality is not who we are. It's a construct of our society, our families, our cultures, and other influences. But underneath that is our true selves. And we'll talk about the inner observer later on and how we can engage with our inner observer to awaken ourselves to our true self. But let's start first with the three centers of intelligence. So what are they? The mental, thinking, head center, or intellectual, and the types, the enneotypes that uh, fit into that center are five, six, and seven. Then we have our emotional intelligence, and we've heard the name EQ being kind of bandied around. So that is an important center for people. We all have it, of course, but the emotional intelligence is often connected to our heart or feeling center. And those types that fit into that is two, three, and four. And then we have our body, gut, or instinctual center. And the types that fit into that are eight, nine, and one. So that's great to know, but that can still leave people with the question of, well, what do I lead with? Where do I belong, at least in one of those three triads? So I thought of taking you all through a meditation to help you connect with each of those centers. What we notice when I do this meditation is we favor a center. So the one that is mostly our default is where we tend to draw attention to. And through this meditation, we can begin to connect with the other two centers. So how does that feel? Sounds very interesting. Yeah, great. Before you do that, though, Hemla, I have a question. Yeah. You talked earlier about that quote where, you know, our, our duty is to be awake in this lifetime. And also you mentioned how our personalities get in the way of our essence. Can you talk about how the Enneagram system helps with that? Like, how do we know that we're really going into to our essence using this system versus just like typing ourselves and typing out our personality versus our essence, I guess is my question. Okay. So yes, it's a, the Enneagram is this multi-layered system. Let's just start with that. Once we do a typing interview and let's say we understand our type, that's just the top layer. Underneath that is, so Sandra Maitri, who's one of a wonderful teacher of the Enneagram and has written many books on the spiritual dimensions of the Enneagram. And in it, she talks about how we have traps blind spots, how we have what she calls anti-self actions. And these are all really important in understanding because as we begin to understand the system, we understand what the passions are, which we touched on in our first meeting, but I'm happy to elaborate at some other point. Then we have the passions are more the emotional states. And then we have our fixations, which are the mental stories that we tell ourselves. So every type has a passion and a fixation but it also has this place of growth that it can go to. And the place of growth for uh, the passion is known as a virtue. And the place of growth from the fixation is known as the holy idea. So when we understand all of these different parts, it can help us to start a journey into ourselves to connect with that inner essence rather than the personality. We begin to understand all the layers of the story of our personality that keep us trapped in these patterns. And David Daniels, who's another teacher of the Enneagram, he talked about 
the five A's and awareness is one of those. And then when you have awareness of, well, this is what's happening. Oh, okay. I can notice this about myself. Then you can take the next step, which is what action would I like to take around that? What would I like to change? And how can I be more aware of that and then bring it into some kind of action and move it into then what we call the virtue or the holy idea? Pamela, I know that you also do a little work with somatics in relationship to the Enneagram system. Is this another supportive way of helping you get into your essence? I guess I'm trying to just understand or maybe help listeners understand because it's so easy to go into like your personality and think that's who you are. How do we go deeper to know who we truly are? Exactly. So I like that you brought that up because somatically our bodies hold all the answers. And part of our practice is when we tapping into our inner essence or our true nature is to listen in. So all our meditation practices, anything that we do is aimed at turning our attention inwardly so that we can hear and listen to what's going on within the body. And that's where the somatic aspect comes in. So the Enneagram offers this perspective from each type perspective. So when we're working with the body somatically, we can tap into how does each type respond or relate? And what is the layer of story that covers it up? So that is a very powerful way. And as well as using family constellations, because somatically our bodies tell us a story of not just our own trauma or suffering or you know, whatever we're holding, but our whole epigenetic familial lineage of what came before us. And so there are many ways to work with it and add that into the Enneagram practice as well. I like that epigenetic lineage. It's <laughs> a nice way to put it. So with that in mind, as you guide us through the meditation, what you're supporting us to do is go deeper into the essence of who, who we are, because you're helping us tap into the emotional center, because obviously we have all three emotional centers, but which one we primarily operate from in the world. Right. And all I'm encouraging everyone to do today as they follow me with the meditation is to allow whatever comes to come. Like if your mind starts chattering, it's okay. If your body starts to want to move or adjust, these are all ways our body is speaking to us and allow for everything to be there. I always say, include and welcome everything in. And in that way, it can take us into that deeper layer of listening into what our essence is wanting to communicate with us. Beautiful. Okay, so I will... Let's begin the meditation. I'll take you through. And we can begin to distinguish the differences between these centers. So go ahead and close your eyes. And as you breathe in and out, notice where your attention naturally goes to. Notice if your breath goes into your head, your chest or your belly, or perhaps it's not clear, and that's okay. Now I'm going to guide you to place both your hands, or one of your hands, on your head, and tilt your head forward slightly, so that it falls into your hands. And imagine then that you're breathing in through your nose, and your breath is moving only into your face, your head, 
your ears, and it stays up there in your face and head. So keep breathing into your eyes, top of your head, your ears, and let it circle back into your nose, your eyes, your head, and keep your breath up there. So it may be that your breath changes its quality. Maybe it's shorter, more shallow. Notice what feelings may be coming up. Are you feeling agitated or annoyed? Or Just keep noticing your breath and uh, drawing it up into your head and circling around just in your head. And think about how it would feel if you walked around this way all day. You may even want to open up your eyes and walk and see how it feels keeping your breath in your head. So letting it circle up into your eyes, top of your head, your ears, back up into your nose. Just focusing on your head and your hands on your head. Now move your attention down to your chest and heart and place your hands across your chest. And become aware of your heartbeat and the warmth of your chest. Perhaps you can hear your breath in your chest. Now as you breathe in through your nose or your mouth, draw your breath down your throat pooling into your chest. Don't let it go any further than that, just into your chest and then back out again. So drawing your breath down into your back of your throat, filling into your lungs and chest and heart and out again. And again, notice what emotions may be coming up, what thoughts may be coming up as you draw your attention only to your chest. Allow your breath to move down the back of your throat, into your shoulders, into your lungs, into your heart, then back out again. Notice if your hands are moving up and down on your chest. Perhaps you're sensing your breath there. And take note of how it feels as you breathe into your chest. Notice if it's shallow or deep. Now drop your hands down to your belly and feel what it feels like to have your hands wrapped around your belly and your stomach area. And now when you breathe, breathe all the way down into your belly, letting it pool into the bottom of your stomach and then back out again. So your breath as it fills into your nose, goes down the back of your throat and pools into your belly. Perhaps you feel your belly expanding and contracting against your hands as you breathe in and out. And take note of how it feels. What do you sense? 
as you breathe into your belly. And now let your breath naturally move to wherever it wants to move to. As you breathe in through your nose, feel your breath hit the back of your throat, move up into your brainstem, and then flow down the back of your neck, your shoulders, the back of your spine, down the back of your legs, Feel your breath pooling into your feet, connecting you, anchoring you to the earth, great mother earth. And feel your breath move up the front of your feet, the front of your legs. Filling into your belly, your chest, and then out through your mouth or your nose. And this way, keep following your breath through your body. And then when you feel ready, you can go ahead and open your eyes. Well, Hemla, I, uh, that was really deep. <laughs> I can't believe how deep that was. Yeah. Did you notice if there was any particular center that was easier or harder? It was interesting because I do a lot of Qigong breathing, you know, often belly breathing. But when I checked in before we started, I was definitely breathing in my chest, you know, so um, maybe something's up for me emotionally. I'm, I'm in my emotional mind. And it was really frustrating to uh, breathe into the headspace. <laughs> and uh, I've never considered myself to be overly intellectual. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm not usually one to be caught up into intellectual details of things. I, I often will feel into it for sure. And being in that headspace with my breath was suffocating. Me too. I felt exactly the same way with the head. Yeah. Right. And that's so tough. interesting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I was just trying to imagine how some people are comfortable there. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly it. And I thought it was quite alien. <laughs> to me. Yeah. To me, of course. <laughs> yeah, it was very, it felt very strange for me too in my head. My head, I could feel my head actually get very hot. Oh. And like, well, I could feel like radiate heat onto my hand. I'm like, I can't stay here. I hope she changes fast. <laughs> Hopefully it was fast enough. The place I landed was my belly. The place that felt stuck was my chest. And the head was just like, get me out of here. Not that I'm not already too much in my head, but it was just like, I can't do more than this. Right. 
Yeah. And this is so interesting because um, that's exactly the kind of reactions people have when, when I take them through this meditation. But head types, interestingly, love being in their head. And one of the people that I was taking through the meditation in one of my groups, she said to me, oh, it was so comfortable just relaxing into my head. And of course, <laughs> for me, that's not the place I go either. So it was very uncomfortable and it was hard to breathe into my head. But for her, it felt like home. But Hemla, what's fascinating with that being said, on a day-to-day basis, Setar and I are way too much in our head. We all are, yeah. <laughs> you know, we do analyze everything to death. Yeah. And <laughs> um, and then we're ruled, <laughs> our, astrologically, we're ruled by Mercury. Mercury, yeah. We, both our signs are ruled by Mercury. Yeah, so there's a, there's a lot of, you know. Our sun signs. Mercury. You know, mental activity. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why it was so hard because it's already overactive. <laughs> it's like we need to bring that energy down because when we went into the into the grounded space of the the gut, I just went out. You know, I was just like mm-hmm. I had to bring myself back here. It was just so sedating, I guess you could say. I have a question about that, Hemla. So, so we are as globally and especially in the Western world, very much head oriented because we're you know, everything is encouraged to be intellectualized and analyzed and we're on our computers and laptops and cell phones and all that. Now, if you are already there, you still can actually feel comfortable in your mind, you're in your head, you're saying with these meditations. And that would mean that you're more oriented toward the head center. Am I hearing you correctly? Ah, and it's not necessarily as clear as that for some people, but mixed feelings about that. But mostly, and I'm generalizing, the experience I have is that the head centers will say that, to your point, even though we are all very cerebral, because that's the way our world works, the head centers have some kind of relief. The mm-hmm. word they used is, it feels like I'm home or I'm relaxed. And if that's not our our center that we lead with, the center of intelligence that we lead with, then it may not feel like that. So interestingly, you felt so at home with your gut and Salvador felt more at home with his chest and then dropped into his gut. So these could all be indications of the centers that we lead with. The other thing is, I'm glad you brought the somatic part in because somatically our bodies start to speak. So even as you see me speaking, I'm even though this is a podcast, I'm using my hands to gesture with because, and I move forward when I'm speaking because um, heart type and heart types tend to, again, this is a generalization, but generally they lean forward, they place their hands on their chest naturally when they talk or they when they feel empathy or connection with others, they will somehow connect to that area. But you know, any type can, but I'm just saying that these can be indicators to help people to know what is the center of intelligence that I tend to have a bias toward or lead with. And ideally we want to balance all three. And then um, sometimes with body types, they will often hold their bodies really tightly or if depending on the Enya type, it can be more relaxed and kind of chilled out. But the point is that the energy seems to go into their gut and the lower body. And heart types, the energy seems to go into the chest and the kind of like torso area. And for head types, often in the head, my husband and I laugh because sometimes when he's sitting and he's working, he's mostly holding his head 
like this. And I always laugh and I tell him, well, you're holding your head because it's so heavy with information. He's a head. <laughs> so we, we laugh about it. So it's, you know, these kind of gestural things that we do that we may not even be aware of, but you know, now maybe hearing it, people become more aware of these possibilities. So as you're getting to know your enneotype a little bit better, by the way, go back to episode 55 if you haven't already listened to that because Hamlet does a beautiful journey, takes us through a beautiful journey if you want to get to know more. But in general, with getting to know your enneotype, so let's say you do this meditation and you find like you're more heart-oriented. Does that mean that you'll necessarily identify with the, what is it called, the trinity? The triad. The triad, okay. So that would be, if, I, if I'm correct, the two, three, or four is the heart. Yeah. And, um, well, I've always thought I was a four, so I guess that does resonate. And you do seem like a two, so. No, mine was gut. But you were gut. So you're, that's eight, nine, or one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you thought that she's a nine in terms of her Enneagram. So that's basically how you're trying to use this meditation, correct? You're trying to see what resonates stronger during that, re- that meditation to give us a clue from a bodily in- instinct rather mm-hmm. than just re- reading a list of yes. characteristics and qualities. And that's what distinguishes your ability to identify yourself in your essence versus your personality. Because a lot of times we live out our lives based on what society, or our parents, grandparents, teachers, whatever, mm-hmm. have told us you should be like this. So then we, we literally are living inauthentically, this false identity because of what we're taught. And I think what I'm gathering, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Hemla, is that enneotype is, or enneotyping or, you know, studying the enneagrams is one way to retrieve who we really are in our essence so that we can live more authentically. Exactly. That the enneagram to me is exactly that. It's a system to help us to understand ourselves. And this is just one little layer of a practice we could use. Uh, Meditation is really important in learning to reconnect as you know you both know and practice so it's about reconnecting with who we are in our essence and to observe these different behaviors to observe what's happening in our bodies and then of course to still explore the enneotypes enneagram from the different perspectives that we've already mentioned add like a holistic view to everything well yeah i mean this is an important tool to use in terms of uh, looking at relationships, mm-hmm. whether it's your interpersonal relationships, work relationships. I know they use this for businesses to help, you know, maybe for team building and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Relationships within families. Yes. Relationships between couples, because it helps us to understand the dynamics that are going on between without blaming each other. I mean, you know, we kind of start there, but what it does, it it offers a perspective of, oh, so this person is reacting because this is what's coming up for them. And oh, I'm reacting because this is what's coming up for me. So it's this self-regulating that we're practicing of knowing what our triggers are and then going, oh, I see that's the trigger. That's what took me there. Oh, now I have a choice. I can either go back into the same pattern or the choice I can make is to observe that in myself and go, now that I'm aware, I can have a a new relationship with this. And this is why I think the Enneagram is so important to me anyway. It's really helped me to observe myself 
and notice what my type structure does so that I'm not reacting from the same default patterns that I always operated from when I was more unconscious of them. Now that I am more conscious of them through my inner observer as engaging with that part of me and going, ah, I see this is different or I can have a different relationship with myself or this person in that situation. Yeah, that's really empowering. Yeah. And I will say that often people mistake the emotions as being what's coming from the heart. The heart or the inner observer, the the part of us, the inner observer is very neutral. It doesn't have strong emotions about anything. When we have strong emotions, it's often from then our reactive state that we're moving through. So that's something to observe. So can you show that in an example? I'm not very clear. Okay. So for example, the difference between the heart, which is a neutral place, and the emotions that govern the heart is like when we get really upset about something or we get very joyful. The Neither emotion is good or bad, but the, the inner observer connected to the heart is more neutral. It's kind of soft. It doesn't have big waves in either direction a strong reaction in a positive way or a strong reaction in a negative way. It's kind of just going, oh, I see. And then observing that or engaging with the seeing without reacting. When I when we were in reactivity, then we've taken it into the emotional state. And some people often mistake the emotional state as being the heart or the inner observer, I should say. I, I interchange them, but you know, they're separate, but more the inner observer. The inner observer is just noticing things and not necessarily reacting to it. Well, in terms of emotions, if the little understanding that I have is about how these three trinities are different ways that we process emotions. So like the first trinity, the, the intellectual approach to processing your emotions versus feeling of the heart or feeling through your intuition or your gut feeling. Could could you elaborate, expand on that? Yes. So the triads, the for example, the head types, the emotion that underlies everything for them is fear. But within that, so for example, a seven will deny that they have the fear because they're always exploring and adventuring and trying new things. Sixes kind of go between expressing it and then not expressing it. And fives repress that feeling of fear because they can intellectualize it by researching and figuring things out. Mm. So that's the head type. So the fear is the underlying... Impetus. Yes. So the heart types, it's grief or sadness. But again, one denies, one expresses, and one represses. So the two represses their need for that connection, that the sadness that comes with it. And so they repress the sadness. The threes are moving through the world really quickly, so they deny that they feel any sadness. Mm. And fours will express the sadness. Mm. Okay, then the body types, theirs is anger. But eights will express the anger, let you know they're angry. Nine, because they want to keep the peace, will deny that they feel angry. And ones, because it's not the right thing to do, will repress the feeling of anger. Hmm. So these are also indicators as to if I, let's say, I notice that I'm a body type and this feeling is coming up, let's say anger coming up in me. Of course, we all have all three emotions, but 
we lead with those. And so the, another way for someone who's kind of trying to figure out which triad they belong to may notice, well, I feel my anger and maybe I'm holding it all in because it's not a good thing to express it or share it because it could create reactions. And so there's this holding in and that's the repression. And then they could say, oh, this feels more like I belong in the realm of the one. But it, I mean, yeah. is, you know, so I'm, I'm just giving an example. I like that. So they'll have a, so each group will have a, a little bit of a challenge with that particular emotion. I like that. That's a nice way to um, approach it, I think. Yeah. And, you know, so if people go, I don't ever feel sadness, then my question would be, I mean, people don't really say that, but I mean, I, you know, like people <laughs> might say, I don't really, I don't often feel sadness. Then, you know, they may not be part of the heart triad or perhaps they're repressing and that's what they're, or denying it. And that's where they've got to check in with themselves to say, is this true? This is the inner observer again. Is this true for me? What's mm -hmm. going on? Like what happens when something makes me feel sad? Where in my body do I feel it or sense it? And these are all ways that we can start working with ourselves in how and becoming more aware of how the difference between how personalities created this cover up and what our inner essence is. And then there are three extra tools that people could use, which when engaging with the inner observer, so the thinking intellectual types, five, six, and seven, their whole practice is to be in silence. And that's hard because the mind is just chattering and chattering. I mean, all our minds chatter, but, you know, mm -hmm. so they could try a practice where they disconnect from devices, even music or any other stimulation from any external source and try and observe. And, you know, the mind's going to chatter, but not to engage with it, just kind of go, okay, you, you're talking and, you know, you have lots to say. Okay, you can be here, but then the rest of you is also there. And as they observe more and more, and it's a practice that, you know, the first few times, first many times, it can feel frustrating. But as we observe and recognize, and we can come back to that silence, that would be the practice for the intellectual centers. Then the heart centers, the practice would be solitude. Because heart centers always want connection with other people. And to be in solitude means that they can turn inwardly and start to reconnect with themselves. So, you know, even if they spent a, a morning or an afternoon or a day or a meditation retreat or something where they came back to that, how can I be in my own space with myself would be a practice. And then the body centers, their practice is stillness. And since they are often in movement or moving their bodies in some way, the stillness can help them to come back to themselves. That's beautiful. That's like very that. cool. Those are practices to do. I yeah. Like yeah. Well, this has been very enlightening and a great discussion to become more self-aware mm -hmm. and also to become more self-aware of how we are in relationship with others. Because I'm sure as we learn these, these, Enneagram types, then you can start seeing those types in your partners and in your family members and for sure work colleagues. And being less judgmental of them because you see that we are wired a certain way. So to observe each other from the standpoint of non-judgment just helps the relationship flourish. And with ourselves, because we often judge ourselves for being a certain way or operating from a certain place. Like, you know, I get emotional easily or I think too much or I 
whatever. It's just part of our nature. Awareness breeds transformation, as we keep saying. Mm-hmm. Hemla, I think that's on your email, actually. You have like your little signature quote from Krishnamurti. And uh, I just mentioned it on a recent podcast. And he says something just like that, where he's, he talks about just through the act of, of self-awareness comes the transformation. Yeah, and we always say mm-hmm. awareness is the first step to healing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that quote by Krishnamurti because it is when we can just observe something without trying to change it. In itself, it undergoes a transformation. It's so true. Yeah. I've had experiences. I I played with this at one point when I was um, learning about these ideas. And it was about how your experiences are an expression of your perception. And so I would play with that in terms of my experiences with people. And one time I was, I remember I was at a gas station. I, I don't know what, I had a, some type of problem. Maybe I needed to have a flat tire repaired or it was something like that. And the person who was helping me had this horrible disposition. And so when he walked away, I uh, consciously shifted my perspective of him. And I just thought, well, he's, really going to be a great guy who's going to help me out. And he came back with a 180 degree shift in his disposition and personality and was so kind. <laughs> and I just love that. I yeah. think that's a good example of how we all have our shadow side. And some people will help you bring out that shadow side and some people will illuminate your bright side. So I think a lot of it is, of course, the inner work we do, but for people who aren't as aware we as cultivators can help bring out that light in other people by always focusing on the good aspects. Because we always, I mean, all of us have good in us, no matter what. So focusing on them having that, like your experience, that helped him bring those qualities out and show them to you. Yeah, I'm sure if I would have dwelled on how, you know, miserable and grumpy he was, (laughs) uh, it may have just perpetuated that. But it it sure wasn't about face. And I've done that. I've seen that happen multiple times. Mm So um, we are the masters of our universe. Yeah, and we create our reality. (laughs) That's the ultimate truth. Right, right. And the Enneagram system. Helps. (laughs) So thank you very much for enlightening us further on this very interesting topic. Yeah, thanks, Hemla. And for those of you who want to do individual work with Hemla or learn more about Hemla's work, you can visit. Hemla, you can let us know where to go exactly. Yes, it's seven, the number seven, raysholisticcenter.com. And if you need to email me, it's hemla at the number seven, raysholisticcenter.com. And I have workshops, I um, have events, I work with groups and individuals. So reach out if that's something that interests you. Thank you. And Hemla is an amazing transformation catalyst. That, that name suits you very well, I think, Hemla. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on the show. Appreciate it. Yeah, and thank you for spending more time with us. We look forward to more. Now we want to hear from you. Visit acenterfornaturalhealing.com forward slash the number three centers, so three centers, and let us know in the comments which area of your body you felt at home in when you did the meditation with Hemla. And how did that change your perspective of yourself? 
Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Natural Healing Podcast. Thank you again, Hemla. Thank you. Until next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, if you haven't already done so, be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. This ensures that we can share this invaluable information with more listeners just like you. Thank you.